You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. Well, good morning. As Bevan said, my name is Ethan. I am the family pastor here. And let's just get started with a picture of my youngest daughter, Margaret. Does that sound good? All right, here's Margaret. Uh, This is Margaret. She's two years old. Unlike her siblings at the same age, uh, she is taking her time when it comes to learning how to speak. She's really taking her time, and I think the reason for that is pretty obvious. She's got three older siblings who are really just more than happy to do all of her talking for her. And she, for her part, she's just really more than happy to allow them to do that. Uh, so she's, she's taking her time, and she's also training us. She's teaching us as a family. We, we thought we were going to be training her. She's actually training us to understand her version of speaking. And so she'll say something like, she'll say, dodosh. And our whole family knows that that means Richard, her brother. So her brother Richard is dodosh. Um, and it makes sense, right? Um, so she understands English perfectly, but she just really is not a big fan of using her English. But we encourage her, though. We encourage her to use her words, especially if she's, she's frustrated or if there's something that she wants. We'll say, Margie, use your words. And the reason for that is that words are actually very helpful. Words are helpful when a child learns to use her words instead of her emotions to communicate. It actually alleviates a lot of frustration on her part, and she's much happier as a result of that. But then every parent knows that there's a big difference between learning how to use your words and learning how to use your words wisely. So that's what we're after today. Um, teaching a child to speak, that's, that's pretty easy. Teaching a child to speak, that's, that's not that hard. But teaching a child to speak wisely, that's a whole nother matter. And so that's what we're talking about this morning, how to use our words wisely. And the reason that we're talking about this is that we're going through the book of James in this series called Street Smarts. And so in today's section that we're coming to in the book of James, James turns his attention toward this topic of words. You see, James, he's very concerned, and we've seen this throughout the whole book, he's very concerned with helping the Christians that he's writing to learn how to have a a real faith. He wants them to have a real faith, kind of like we talked about a bit last week, and he wants them to have a a very practical faith. And he knows that, that words, while they seem like a small area, they actually have an outsized impact on our ability to navigate life God's way. And so the first thing that he wants his readers to understand about words is that your words have power. And so that's our first point this morning, is your words have power. James uses a series of analogies, and as we go through today, you'll see he uses a lot of analogies, but he starts off using a few analogies to communicate this idea. He says, uh, starting in chapter 3, verse 2, he says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. And he says, look also at the ships. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. And so here we've got these two pictures. We've got the picture of the bit and the bridle for the horse. And then we've got um, also this picture of the rudder that goes with the ship. And what these things have in common, is he's telling us, is that they're both very small things, like the tongue, but they have significant power. So just like it says here, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. But if our words are powerful, like he's saying, then what exactly is it that our words have the power to do? Well, two things. 
The first thing is that when used wisely, our words have the power to restrain. So he's using this image of a bit and bridle, and a function of a bridle is to, to do what? To restrain the power of the horse. And that restraint, it doesn't cause the horse to become weak by any means. Instead, what it does is it allows the one who's leading the horse to focus the energy of that horse for a specific reason. And so James is saying that our words are so powerful that if anyone is able to restrain or if anyone is able to bridle his words, then he's able to restrain and focus the energy of his whole person. The idea is that if you control your mouth, you're able to control your whole body. And so this means that if you learn how to, to use your words wisely, if we learn how to use our words wisely, then it's going to impact our attitudes it's going to impact your work. It's going to impact your marriage, your parenting, your decision-making. It's going to impact everything. So there's this trickle-down effect that he's talking about that occurs when we learn to rein in our words. So words have the power to restrain. He's also saying words have the power to guide. So that's the other purpose of the bit and bridle. It's to guide the horse. So as he says here, he says, if we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. And then of ships, he says, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong wind, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Now, with these two things, I have very little experience when it comes to horses, not a lot of horse experience. I do have a little bit of experience when it comes to rudders. In, uh, in college, two of my friends and I, we decided that we were going to spend our summer kayaking the Mississippi River. And so we did that. We, we went from, uh, from Minneapolis down to New Orleans, and it took us 62 days in all to do that trip. In order to do a trip like that, we had to spend a lot of time preparing in advance for it. And so as we prepared, we were getting a lot of advice and input. One of the pieces of advice that we got is you want to get a kayak that has a rudder with it. And so that made sense. We didn't know much about kayaks. Someone told us that, and so we thought, okay, we'll do that. So we followed that advice, and we got um, kayaks with rudders. And so here's a picture of my kayak. This is on the, on the river, and you can see the rudder highlighted there. But with two days to go on this trip, my rudder, it just snapped off. It just gave up. It said, I'm not going to go on the rest of this trip with you. So it, it snapped off my kayak, and that's when I actually learned how important the rudder is. When it broke... Man, everything, everything changed. I realized I'd been, I'd been taking it for granted this whole time, and I couldn't keep up with the other guys anymore. We had kind of gotten in this rhythm, and we were all kind of going at the same pace. All of a sudden, my rudder's gone. Man, I'm, I'm lagging in the back. I can't up, keep up with these other guys. And the reason isn't that I was using less energy or I wasn't working as hard. In fact, I was actually working a lot harder. My output was a lot harder. The difference was that I was no longer able to guide my energy in the direction that I wanted to go. So I was off to the right, I was off to the left, and I couldn't keep a consistent heading. So it wasn't a power problem, it was a guidance problem. And the result in that instance was inefficiency, of course, and also just a lot of frustration. It was a frustrating thing to put out that energy but not be going where I wanted to go, or at least not as fast as I wanted to get there. So in the same way, if you want to follow the course that God has marked out for you in your life, but you don't learn to use your words wisely, then your speech is going to be driving you off course, off to the right, off to the left, at every single step of the way. And the result of that is obvious. The result of that is frustration. 
So for example, if you want to introduce your friends at work to Christ, then, well, that's a really good thing to want to do. But if all of your coworkers know that you use your words to cut other people down, well, no one really wants to hear what you have to say about Jesus, do they? If you, have, if you want to have a godly marriage, you want to raise godly kids, again, those are really good goals. But if you use your words to lash out at your spouse, lash out at your kids, then you're really undermining your effort to build a godly family. So our words, they have the power to guide us on course, or they have the power to steer us off course as we seek to follow God. That's a lot of power. For better or worse, today's words are shaping the kind of future that you and I will experience. So our words are powerful. We're getting that out of James. Our words are powerful. They have the power to restrain. They, uh, they have the power to guide. The problem is that we actually have very limited power over our words. Our words are very powerful. Our ability to control our words, not so much. James says in verse 7, For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So, in other words, he's saying you can tame a falcon, you can tame a tiger, pick your animal, you can tame a a snake, a a mustang, anything, and, and those things actually have been tamed, but good luck when it comes to taming your own tongue. So what's the reason for that? The reason is that our words actually have a source. Our words come from somewhere. Our words don't just appear. They come from somewhere. And we're powerless to change our words without changing the source of our words. And that's our next point, is that your words have a source. And James talks about this source. He says in verse 10, From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does not a spring pour forth... Does a a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So James is saying that uh, that when we speak cursing words, or when we speak harmful words, or hurtful words, what we're doing is we're actually speaking out of what is in our hearts. This means that we're not pretty good people who just sometimes accidentally slip up and accidentally say something that's hurtful or accidentally slip up and say something that is harmful. It's saying that our hearts are contaminated by sin. And so when we say sinful things, what's happening is that what's in our heart is actually kind of just bubbling up to the surface and coming out, kind of like a spring. So being surprised that we say hurtful things or harmful things would be like taking your water bottle over here to the beach and and filling it up in the ocean, taking a big swig, and then being surprised that it's salty. Well, of course it's salty. It's the Pacific Ocean. Of course we say harmful things. We have sinful hearts. And so that means that if we want to tame our tongues, it's going to require more than just a human effort or human willpower in order to do that. Just like we read earlier, no human being can tame the tongue. What we need is a change of heart a change of the source of our words. And thankfully, a new heart is exactly what God wants to give us. God sent Jesus to earth precisely because we have sinful hearts that we couldn't lift a finger to change. So Jesus died on the cross to pay a price, pay the price for our sin, the price that we deserve to pay. And now to anyone who receives that gift of forgiveness, he gives them a new heart. 
but he doesn't just give us a new heart and, and pat us on the back and say, okay, good luck with that new thing. Instead, he actually comes into our heart and he helps us. He helps us follow him. And one of the ways that he does that is by giving us clear boundaries from his word, giving us those boundaries and then reminding us of what those boundaries are. And that's our next point, is that your words need boundaries. Without clear boundaries, the power of words, it will continually cause problems for us. It will continually do damage. Just as James writes here in, in verse 5, he says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among the members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. So again, he's, he's summoning another analogy, and, and this analogy, it highlights the power of words, but particularly, this one highlights the destructive power of words. And everyone, every one of us who's lived in California, we're all familiar with the destructive power of fire, like he's talking about here. Every fall, uh, every, every summer, it's really just a matter of when and where these wildfires are going to spring up and occur, so we're used to that. Um, as a kid, though, I grew up in northern-ish California, kind of up in the mountains. And so my main memories of fire, they're actually not so much of the power of fire to destroy, they're more of the power of fire to do good. And the reason for that is that the house that I grew up in, we had a small little wood-burning stove. Uh, it's not, this is not a picture of it, but this one's similar to the one that I had in my house growing up. And this was our main source of heat throughout the whole winter. And so one of the things that I hated was I hated going down the stairs, maybe they're icy to the wood pile and bring back wood. I complained a lot. I need to apologize to my parents about my attitude about that. So I hated that part. But I loved sitting next to a nice warm fire, maybe if it was snowing outside or, or raining or just cold, and enjoying the capacity of the fire to do good. But what then, what's the difference between a fire that destroys and a fire that warms a home? Well, the difference between those two fires is boundaries. A wildfire is a fire with no boundaries. And in fact, that's really the whole strategy of firefighting. The strategy is to place boundaries around that fire such that it cannot spread beyond those boundaries. So that's why we use the phrase like containment, as in the fire is 50% contained for a wildfire. A fire that's 50% contained is a fire that has boundaries around 50% of its perimeter. Now the wood stove is a fire with boundaries. These six sides of the wood stove, kind of the four sides, the top and the bottom, they provide boundaries such that the fire is 100% contained within them. And those boundaries are the difference between a fire that destroys and a fire that warms a home. And so when it comes to our words, boundaries, they're also the big difference. They're the difference between words that do good and words that words that do harm. They're the difference between words that damage and words that heal. Boundaries are the difference between words that build up and words that tear down. And wisdom from God's word is what provides those boundaries for us. Now, we've been, we've been in James, and it's such a fun book to be in because it's, it's, it's one of the most practical, wisdom-packed books in the New Testament portion of the Bible. If we go back and we look at the Old Testament portion of the Bible, kind of the counterpart as far as just Wisdom and, and practical is, is the book of Proverbs. It's one of the most practical books in the Old Testament portion of the Bible. And Proverbs, it's especially full of wisdom when it comes to what we're talking about today, how to use our words. And so what I want to do is I want us to look at six boundaries 
out of the book of Proverbs that kind of just like the six sides of that wood stove um, that can help us contain our words, not just contain them, but focus them for good. And so as we look at these, I want to encourage you not to be overwhelmed by all six. These are six things that we can all improve in, but instead of just being overwhelmed by all six, I want to encourage you, look for one or maybe two that you can focus on and maybe ask God to help you pick one or two that you can focus on and really try to apply. So the first boundary that we're looking out of Proverbs is boasting words. We draw our boundary around boasting words, and boasting occurs when we use our words to make sure that we receive all of the honor that we think that we are due. So it's something that can be subtle, or it can be very overt. That really depends on your skill at boasting. Some of us are more skilled boasters than others, right? So it can be subtle or it can be overt. But Proverbs 27.2 says, let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. So in other words, it's saying, be willing to pass on opportunities to praise yourself. Now, I'm very fortunate in that one of the best examples I know of someone who, who shows restraint in boasting words is actually my dad. So I'm really fortunate to have, have a dad like that. And looking back at my childhood, I've got like all these memories of my dad drawing attention to the, the accomplishments and the achievements of other people. But I don't really have any memories of him doing that for himself, drawing that kind of attention to himself or of playing the one-up game or, or anything like that. And it wasn't until I became an adult that I realized, you know, that actually really freed him up. It freed him up to focus on other people, and it freed him, to, freed him up to be a real help to other people. The reason is that when we enter a conversation with the goal of making ourselves look as, as good as possible, it's really hard to also have the goal of helping others. Those are competing goals. Making myself look as good as possible and helping others, they require different courses. They require different bearings for us. And when we choose boasting words, what we're doing is we're grabbing the wheel and we're using the rudder to make the conversation be all about us. But imagine instead, if in every single conversation you had this week, what if you weren't concerned with making yourself appear impressive? Well now, how much more helpful do you think you would be to the people around you, the people in your life? So when we decline to boast, we're really freeing ourselves up for humility and for helping others. So that's boasting words. The next is belittling words. And these are words that are intended to insult others or intended to make them feel small. Uh, Proverbs 11:12 says, whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. So sometimes when it comes to belittling, sometimes we do this as just an outright straightforward attack, but that's not usually the case. Usually what we do is we disguise it. We disguise it in the form of maybe a joke, sarcasm, or maybe a passive-aggressive comment. Whatever form it takes, the intent of belittling is to kind of cut the other person down to size, and then by doing that, widen that perceived gap between us. So in this sense, belittling is really the counterpart of boasting. When I boast, I'm trying to widen the gap between me and you by making myself appear big. When I belittle, what I'm trying to do is widen that same gap, not by making myself seem big, but by making the other person seem small. And this, in God's eyes, this is really a tragedy, and it's, it's a foolishness when we use our words, when we cross our boundary, cross, cross this boundary in this way. And that's because in every single relationship that you and I have, God has something that he wants to accomplish through us. Usually that means building up the other person and then bringing glory to God. There's some way that he wants to do that. 
And so when we belittle others, what we're saying is, God, you know, I know you may have a plan here to build up this other person and to bring you glory, but I'm actually, in this instance, more interested in tearing down the other person and of gathering up all the glory for myself. And so we draw a hard line here, and we don't belittle others. Instead, we do the opposite. We build them up. Next, we have uh, babbling words. Babbling words. These are kind of rambling or, or meaningless words. Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but instead delights in what? In airing his own opinions. And so this verse, this person in this verse has no joy in listening to other people. This is an important idea. That this person has no joy when it comes to listening to others and has no curiosity about others. He doesn't wonder about their background and he isn't interested in hearing what they think. Instead, it says he finds his joy in, in, in his own opinions. He says he delights in airing his own opinions. So he prefers talking to listening is what's going on here. Now, if you are a more extroverted person or you are more talkative just by nature, don't think that this verse is picking on you because that's not what is going on here. This is a matter of the heart, not of personality. And actually, some of the most talkative people that I know are also some of the best listeners that I know. Somehow, they have the capacity to talk a lot and listen a lot. So I don't know how, I have to choose one. I can't do both. But I really appreciate the people who can talk a lot and listen a lot. So the best indicator here of whether or not you've crossed this boundary is not your daily word count. The best indicator is whether or not you take a genuine interest in other people and listening to others and learning from them and in learning about them. And so if you want to know if you've crossed this boundary, don't ask, how much do I talk? Instead, ask, how well do I listen? So that's babbling words. The next boundary is by, uh, backbiting words, backbiting words. And these are, these are gossiping words or slandering words. And when we use these words, Proverbs says that the results are actually very predictable. It tells us what we can expect. Proverbs 25, 23 says, the north wind brings forth rain and backbiting words, angry looks. So what's going on here with this one? Well, usually rain is a good thing. Rain's a positive thing, but the rain from the north wind that this is describing, this is a damaging rain. It's one that does damage, and it doesn't bring any good that comes along with it. So think of a hurricane that just kind of rolls through and leaves nothing but chaos in its wake. And so this verse is comparing backbiting words to weather that comes in and does no good. And it says that these words produce only what? It produces anger. And so there's no upside to gossiping. When we gossip, what we're doing is something that will result in anger and hurt, but can do no good. But still, we do it. So why do we do it? We do it because it really makes us feel better about ourselves. The idea is that if you and I are gossiping about someone, then we kind of form this bond at the other person's expense. If we're bad-mouthing them, we form this bond. And then we also kind of share in this feeling of superiority over them. And that makes us feel better about ourselves. And actually, I think of all the boundaries, this is one of the sneakiest, and it's one of the easiest to do without even realizing that you've done it, without even realizing that you've crossed that line. And so, so how do you know, then, if you've crossed that line? How do you know if you're gossiping? Well, if you're talking about someone else, and you are painting them in a negative light, and, and uh, even if what you're saying is true, if you're talking about someone, you're painting them in negative light, even if what you're saying about them may be true, you're probably gossiping about them at that point. And so when it comes to gossiping, 
it's best to just play it safe. We play it safe. This is not a line that we walk up to and try to toe the line on this boundary. Instead, when in doubt, we just go ahead and hold our tongue. So that's backbiting words. The next boundary is bickering words. And these, these are quarreling words or, or grumbling or, uh, or complaining words. And Proverbs 26, 21 says, As charcoal to hot embers and fire to wood, so is, quarrel, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. So if you've ever built a campfire, you built a campfire, you know that if you spread out the coals of that campfire and you stop adding wood to it, then what happens? Campfire just kind of dies down and it goes away. And so this verse is describing someone who doesn't want to see verbal fires die down. He doesn't want to see conflicts resolved. Instead, he wants to kindle strife. He wants to build that strife up. And so for him, relational conflict, it's almost like a sport. It's almost like an entertainment or, or, or just a way of life. And so he uses his words to fan the flames of controversy. So if a quarrel is, wiling, a quarrel is winding down, what he'll do is he'll come in and he'll grab all those coals and he'll heap them into a pile so that they burn hotter. And then he might grab some extra wood and just kind of throw it onto the fire of that quarrel for good measure. And so for us, this is obviously not something that we want to do. This is not the kind of person that we want to be. So where do we draw the line when it comes to these bickering words? Well, first, we don't go around seeking arguments. Life has enough real conflict that actually needs to be resolved without us going around and creating or kindling new conflict. And then when we find ourselves in a quarrel, what we do is we gently use our words to diffuse the coals of meaningless controversy rather than heap them together and let them burn hotter. And we also, we don't grumble. This is another key element. We don't grumble because grumbling and complaining, it's kind of like sitting around that fire and just tossing dry pine cones and dry sticks into the fire to let it grow. And so we don't grumble. We also don't invite others to grumble. And when someone else invites us to join in their grumbling, we graciously decline to do that. Now, lastly, the last one here is bluffing words. This is our final boundary. And these obviously are words of deception. This includes everything from bald-faced lies to, to words of flattery or, or white lies. And the Bible is very clear that God hates this kind of speech. Proverbs 12.22 says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. So this verse is contrasting lying with those who act faithfully, especially those who act faithful, faithfully with the truth. They're faithful to the truth. And it says that those who are faithful are God's delight. Now, the other day, I, I caught myself crossing this boundary. I did it with my kids. Uh, what happened was that I was just in our living room, and they asked me if they could have an extra snack. And I said, no. Okay, so far, so good. And then they said, why not? And I said, well, we're out of it. We don't have any more left. Okay, now that's where the problem was. I knew full well in the pantry we had whatever snack it was that they were asking for. And so I realized it, and I had to circle back. I had to go back, and I had to clear that up with my kids um, and let them know, well, you still can't have a snack. But, um, <laughs> but the reason I gave you, that was, that was, that was a false reason. Uh, the reason I lied to them in that instance is because it was easier to lie to be not faithful with the truth than it was to have kids who aren't getting what they want. That's, it's not fun or easy, and so I chose to lie. And these are the kinds of things that we need to watch out for. These little lies where the purpose is to maybe avoid a hassle or, or avoid an embarrassment. 
Because when we're willing to lie about these small things, it really, it opens up the door for us to be comfortable lying about all things. And so we draw the line there. We don't cross this boundary. Instead, we remain faithful to the truth. So as we wrap up today, like I said, what I want to do is I want to encourage you to, um, to consider applying God's word, and specifically by, by doing three things. So applying God's word by doing three things. First is to choose one of these boundaries to focus on. Maybe you've already kind of got yours. Um, you might just want to circle it in your notes or maybe make a mental note of, of which one you really want to focus on. And then the second thing is to memorize the proverb that goes with it. You've got those proverbs listed for you right there. And there are many, many others. And so if it's like, oh, that's not the proverb for me, go find another one <laughs> that's going to address that same thing. Because there are many, many proverbs that touch on each of these issues. So choose one, memorize a proverb that goes with it, and then lastly, tell someone. Especially tell someone who you know you're going to interact with throughout the week so that that person can know whether or not you're actually doing it. Uh, for me, if I tell someone, especially if I tell my wife, you know, hey, this is something that I want to do. I know that she's going to notice if I don't do it. So it's just going to be helpful for me uh, in actually doing what I said I intended to do. So I encourage you to consider applying God's word in that way. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this instruction from your word. It's so helpful. It's so practical. And, uh, and God, we confess that in each of these areas, we, um, we need growth and, and we, we need to become more like your son. God, we thank you that, first of all, you didn't just leave us to our sinful hearts. Um, you came in and you did something about that. And so we thank you that you inserted yourself into that situation and saved us. And God, we thank you that, furthermore, you, you continue to help us grow. You, conti you continue to help us become more like your son. And so I pray that, God, as we go out into um, our weeks, we're going to use a lot of words and, um, and that I pray that that would be a good thing, that that would be a blessing to the people that we use, that it wouldn't be a harmful thing, that you'd use our words uh, to accomplish your purpose and help us, God, as we seek to place boundaries around our words that are pleasing to you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church podcast.